Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter nine. Yes, sorry, for some reason, I couldn't think of it. Matthew chapter nine. Um, as you turn to Matthew chapter nine, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can turn to page 814. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible. We'll gladly give it to you. Here we study God's word and we live out God's word. If you're just joining us or you've been missing the last couple of weeks, we are in a new sermon series and it's called Transforming Presence. And like I said before, do you want to see God radically change our world for the better? Do you want to see the gospel move forward? Do you want to see your life and the life of the loved ones that you hold near and dear to you transformed by the gospel? There's ways that we can do that. And we've talked about those ways, right? We talked about how we can see revival in our, in our culture, revival in our church. And it's, it's a, to a dedication of studying God's word, reading God's word, not just for intellectual knowledge, but, but to, to pursue God and to pursue his person, his character. We also talked about meditation. Dan last week talked about that, that it's, it's good and right for the people of God to think about the things of God, to think about his word, to remember his word, to memorize his word. And his word informs us, changes us for the better. This morning, we're going to be talking about fasting. Everyone say fasting. You guys were a little quiet, so I'm trying to liven it up. You can, you can breathe now. You can relax. And you can talk back. Um, we're going to be talking about fasting. Because I think fasting is a really important spiritual discipline that we often don't practice. I imagine if I took a poll in this room, how many of you would say you fast regularly? You'd probably be like, eh, no, I probably don't. And I think the reason why a lot of us probably don't fast, right, as a spiritual discipline is because we don't know what it is, right? We're like, what, what is it really? Two, we don't know what to do when we fast. And three, um, the truth is, we don't want to. And the reason why we don't want to, because in the American culture, we have a lot of food. Food gives us comfort. And one thing about Americans, right? One thing about us, you, we don't like to mess with our comfort. Anything that brings us uh, discomfort, we disassociate, right? Because, because we don't want to feel the anxiety. We don't want to feel the negative feelings or we don't want to be stirred in ways that, that, that kind of make us feel discomfort. And, and fasting does that. So in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus is confronted with a question about fasting. And he's going to answer it. So we read, Matthew 9, verses 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? It's an interesting that the disciples of John associate themselves with the Pharisees. Because if you know anything about the disciples of John, they didn't get along with the Pharisees. Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Verse 17. 
neither is new wine, but into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into flesh, wineskins, and both are preserved. I'm sure many of you are thinking, oh, is he going to talk about drinking? No. Some of you who are, you know, who don't drink, probably like, oh gosh, he's talking about the thing we're not supposed to talk about. No, I think Jesus is talking about something, something radically different. So um, before we figure out what Jesus means by these two illustrations and what Jesus wants us to understand about fasting, I think we have to answer the question, what is fasting? What is fasting? I'll give you a quick definition, not my definition. This is someone else's definition. Um, Listen to someone else's definition. Biblical fasting is choosing not to partake of food because spiritual hunger is so deep. Determination in intercession is so intense or spiritual warfare is so demanding that you temporarily set aside even fleshly needs to give yourself more holy, that's like holistically, into prayer, right? So fasting, for one, is always connected with prayer. Fasting is not a diet. The new fad nowadays is intermittent fasting, right? You starve yourself for 20 hours and then you eat everything for four hours, whatever the intermittent fasting is. But fasting is always connected to prayer. It's always connected to prayer. Two, fasting is giving up something, right? In the Bible terms, it's food. You give up food because your spiritual hunger is deeper and greater than your need to eat. Your spiritual need is deeper and greater than your physical need to eat. So that's biblical fasting. So, so where do we get fasting? Fasting, we get it in the Old Testament. In fact, the people of God, the nation of Israel, fasted. When did they fast? They fasted on Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish holiday. It's the Day of Atonement. What did they do on the Day of Atonement? On the Day of Atonement, they sacrificed before God on behalf of the nation in repentance. So they fasted for repentance. They wanted God to forgive them of their sins. So, so they sacrificed and they fasted and they prayed. We also see other places in the Old Testament where people fasted. You'll think of Moses. Remember Moses receives the law up on the mountain and the Bible says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Why did he fast? To consecrate himself because he was in the presence of God. We also read in 1 Samuel, David fasted. Why? David fasted because he grieved his sin. He grieved the loss of his son. So David fasted. Ahab Remember, a king fasted to humble himself before God because God had rebuked him. David fasted. This is a famous fast, right? This is the one that you eat like pretty much nothing but grass and beans, right? This is the Daniel fast. And, and Daniel fasted not from food, but he fasted from eating certain types of food so that he wouldn't defile himself before God. 
And then he fasted in Daniel chapter 10 because he was grieving because God gave him a vision. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. So I'm going to enter into fast and prayer because of the weight of my grief and my mourning is so deep that I'm, I'm going to fast. And then we know Nehemiah, Nehemiah fasted, Hannah fasted. So there was fasting in the Old Testament. When we get to Matthew chapter nine, remember this, Jesus has already taught his disciples about fasting. In Matthew chapter six, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expects his disciples to fast. So Jesus expects you and me to fast because we are his disciples. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, and when you fast, fast like this. So one, Jesus expects you and me to fast because we are her disciples. And Jesus already taught his disciples on what to do. So when you get to Matthew 9, the disciples of John, who is John? John the Baptist. They approach Jesus with a question and they say, why aren't your disciples fasting? It's an interesting question, don't you think? Because they're probably like, didn't you teach on this already? Shouldn't your disciples be fasting? Why aren't they fasting? We fast. Why do you think the disciples of John fasted? What was their motivation behind fasting? Think about it. What was John the Baptist's primary ministry? His ministry was of repentance. Right? Jesus, uh, John the Baptist says what? Repent for the kingdom of, of God is at hand. And when he sees Jesus, what he says? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? They fasted out of repentance. Out of mourning of their sin. So they're looking at the disciples and saying, y'all ain't doing what we're doing. And then they include the Pharisees, Right? The Pharisees fasted, and we know what Jesus says about their fasting in Matthew chapter 6. Why did the Pharisees fast? It wasn't to consecrate themselves before God. It wasn't to grieve over their sin or to repent of their sin. They didn't fast because they were desperate in need of God to move in their life. They fasted because they wanted to show off how spiritual they were. They wanted to demonstrate to everyone Look how good we are. And Jesus rebukes them and says, don't do it that way. So how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds with a question. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? I don't know about you, but I've never been at a wedding where the guests were crying and screaming, that the, bra- that the groom was getting married. So what does Jesus mean that they're not going to mourn as long as he's there? The first thing that Jesus is doing, he's making a claim about himself. What is he saying about himself? He is saying that he is the bridegroom. So who's the bride? We are. In the Old Testament, you'll see this often in the prophets. In Isaiah 64, Jeremiah chapter 2 and 3, Ezekiel chapter 16 and Hosea chapter 2, God illustrates himself as a groom, as a husband. Who is his bride? The people of God, the nation of Israel. 
What is Jesus claiming in this passage? Jesus is first claiming, I am God. I am the groom. They are my bride. Who's they? The people, my disciples, the nation of Israel. I am the groom. That's interesting. So he illustrates himself as the groom and he says, they don't need to fast because they're not mourning. They're not grieving. They're not upset. Why? Why are they not mourning? Why are they not grieving? Because he's present. Jesus is saying, His disciples do not have to fast because what the people of God ultimately long for was here. Think about this. People in the Old Testament fasted because they desperately need God to intervene on their behalf. The nation of Israel fasted on the Day of Atonement because they needed God to forgive them of their sin and they needed to repent from their sin. So what Jesus is saying in this passage, they don't need to fast because I have come. I am here. I have come to atone for their sin. I have come to forgive them of their sin. I have come to make them holy. I have come to consecrate them. They don't need to mourn anymore. They don't have to long for the Messiah to come because the Messiah is here now. In other words, the disciples have experienced the presence of God. And because they have the presence of God, they see him, they can feel him, they can talk to him. Anything that they need, anything that they could want that would be birthed out of fasting is found ultimately in Jesus. So Jesus says, they don't need to fast What do they need? I'm here. I'll give it to them. And what they ultimately need, I will accomplish. Okay. Tim, what's the big deal? Who cares? Here's why you should care. Because the question you should ask yourself, well, Jesus has come. He's not here now, but should you and I fast? What do you think the answer is? A lot of people weren't convinced. I'll convince you more. We got, we got another 50 minutes. I can convince you. Trust me. I can convince you. The question is, do we have to fast? Or do the disciples of Jesus have to fast? Jesus' answer is found in the second part of verse 15. Look at it with me. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. The simple answer is yes. The disciples are going to have to fast. Because a day will come in that moment where they would not see him, experience him, talk to him, and they will return to fasting. But not for the repentance of sin or the forgiveness of sin or consecration, right? They're going to fast because why? They're going to long for me to come back. And if Jesus' disciples fasted, We should fast, right? What's the old saying? 
What's, what is good for the goose is good for the? If Jesus' disciples fasted, you and I should fast. I don't know why, there was a little laughing. What, was that funny? Was that like for the young people, all head talk, as they say? The disciples spent three years with Jesus, experienced the wonder and beauty of God every single day. They experienced him intimately. And after his ascension, they will fast. Remember fasting and prayer. So why should you and I fast? Can I give you a reason why you and I should fast? Can I? This is participatory. All right. Here's, here, here's the reason why you and I should fast. And here's the reason why the disciples of Jesus fasted. The reason why you and I should fast is because you want more. Think about it this way. You have experienced the goodness of God in every single way. God, through his word and the power of his spirit, has satisfied you in ways that you cannot express. And yet, that satisfaction has left you in a righteous discontent to ask God, I want more. The disciples are going to fast is because they have experienced the presence of God. And now that he's gone and will return and given us his spirit, they want more of God's presence. They want more of God's power. They want more of God's influence. They want more of God's direction. They want more of God's clarity. They want more of him. Think about Psalms 34 He says what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you tasted good food, once you tasted the presence of God, that is not satisfaction. You just want more of it. And that's what spiritual disciplines do. When you read your Bible, it satisfies you for the moment, but it leaves you wanting more. So the next day you read. So the disciples are going to fast. And the reason why you and I should fast, because you are not satisfied. You want more. You want more of his presence. You want more of his power. You want more of his direction. You want more of his clarity. You want more of him because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you want more of his goodness, more of his faithfulness. And the crazy part is that he invites us to ask. He invites us to pray. He invites us to plead with him, to give us more. And the good thing what the Bible says is God hears our prayers and answers them according to his will. And guess what his will is in the Bible? That you and I would be conformed to his image, that you and I would be empowered by his spirit, that you and I will have the blessing of God the Father through his son by the power of his spirit. So guess what? When you pray and fast, asking God to give us more, more of his power, his presence, his clarity, his direction, asking God to answer our prayers, guess what he's going to do? Respond. Do you want more or are you satisfied? I think one of the reasons why we don't pray and fast is because we're content. We got the house. We got the cars. We got the wealth. We got the money. We got the clothes. We got the health, right? I mean, 
We got health insurance. We go to the doctor, they give us medication. We're feeling anxious and fearful, oh, they'll just give us medication. We're worried, they'll give us medication. Something's wrong with the kids, I'll fix it. This is why I love going on mission trips. When you go to Mozambique and Mexico, or even Cambodia, I haven't been to Cambodia, but I've been to Mexico and I've been to Mozambique. People have nothing. And yet, they pray and fast and pray and pray and pray. Not because they lack. You know why they pray and fast? Because they want more. They want more of him. When I was in Mozambique in a church service, they had a prayer moment in the service. You know how long that prayer went? It probably went like 20, 30 minutes. We stress out over five minutes. These people pray for 10, 15 minutes. And you know what they were praying? We want more of you, God. Give us power. Give us clarity. Let your gospel go forth. God, we need you and we need you now. That's what they were praying. God, show us more of your presence. Make alive your word in us. They wanted more. That's why you and I should fast and pray. Because you have a holy and righteous discontentment with your satisfaction. God satisfies us. His word satisfies us. But there's something miraculous happens through God's word and his spirit that that you are satisfied by him, but yet he leaves a little bit in there that you want more. The question is, has your life, your circumstances, clouded your ability to desire more of God? Are you content with where you're at? The kids are good, the wife is good, the husband is good. Life is just good, and when life is good, it's kind of hard to pray and fast. Here's a reason to fast. Here's a reason to pray. Beyond of just wanting God to intervene, because those are reasons to pray and fast, because you want God to intervene. You need to answer prayer. It's because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And in response to God's faithfulness, in response to his mercy, in response to his care for you, you respond in prayer and fasting and saying, God, I want more. Give me more. Do you want more? You wonder why our world and our culture is the way it is? Because the church has been focused on intellectual knowledge of God's word. They have allowed the pastors to be the evangelist, thinking that's come and seek and find, and then you will be saved. No. The work for God's church is to be committed to prayer and fasting, committed to proclaiming God's word, to be committed to studying God's word, and then move to action. You want to see spiritual transformation in your life. Pray and fast. Are you desperate enough to do it? Are you desperate enough to give up your comfort? Are you desperate enough to give up of your comfort to say, God, I want more. And I confess to you, (laughs) I want more of God. 
but I would much rather him give it to me without praying, fasting, or reading God's word, right? It's just easy. God is bringing us out of our comfort. God wants a people who do not lean only on their skills and talents, but who are desperate for him, who lean on him, and who say, God, if you don't do this, we ain't going. It's interesting, verse 16 to 17. He uses two illustrations. He uses an old garment, a new patch, and wine and wineskins to show us a new way of fasting, right? Like you use, you look at this pass and you're like, what is he talking about? What are these illustrations about? What is Jesus saying to us by using this analogy for us to understand? I think what Jesus is saying, there is a new way of fasting. Think about it. Who is he talking to? To the disciples of John. Why do they fast? Repentance, forgiveness. And he's saying, you don't have to fast that way. There's a new way of fasting. The old way of fasting is gone. The new way of fasting is effective and powerful. You don't have to fast to mourn for your sin. Why? Because God has come through his son Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You don't have to fast to consecrate yourself for holiness. God has come and made you holy. First Peter says what? We are a royal priesthood and what? A holy nation. God has made you holy. You don't have to fast to mourn over your sin. God already has forgiven your sin. In fact, God has forgotten about your sin. So Jesus is saying there's a new way of fasting, a way that is directly connected to the person of Jesus Christ. The new way of fasting connected with prayer is asking God, we want more of you. Let me give you a couple of other reasons to pray and fast together. We see this in this passage, but a little bit later on in the gospel, we also pray and fast for power. Everyone say power. The disciples are going to need a supernatural power. A power that will only come through their faithful obedience to the spiritual discipline of praying and fasting and remembering the words of Jesus. You and I are going to need that same power. The supernatural power to do what God has called us to do in the places and spaces God has called us to be in. If you find yourself in a place where you hate your job, you hate your situation, God has sovereignly put you in that position. And your response to be in that position is, God, I'm going to be faithful what you've called me to do, and I'm going to pray and fast for you intervene to change my heart or to change my circumstances. So we talk about this power really quickly. A good example of this power is found in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is tempted 
right? We fast for power, power over temptation. If you notice at the very beginning of Matthew chapter four, the Bible says the spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. That is a different sermon and another hour of of, of talking about what that means. And what it, the Bible says is Jesus' response to that season or temptation. The Bible says Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And how was Jesus tempted? With the pride of life, flesh, power and desire, right? You, you want to see victory over your sin? You want to see victory over the temptation that you find yourself in? I'm telling you, like, like temptation can be overwhelming, particularly when you're tempted in 10 different ways. I was telling the Lord this in prayer this past week. God, I feel like, this, you know what I already told the Lord? This is what I told the Lord. I'm kidding, this is exact words. I said, God, you gotta ease up. I really said that. I said, God, you got to ease up. I feel like I'm tempted 10 different ways from 10 different angles. You have, to, you have to loosen up. And what I meant by that was, God, you are sovereign. You are in control. I know that my flesh is tempting me. I know the enemy is trying to tempt me to sin. I need you to do something because right now, it's, it's becoming to the point where it's overwhelming me. You need to loosen up because he's sovereign. He's in control. How does that come about? prayer and fasting. We also pray and fast for power, for impact. Everybody say impact. What happens directly after Matthew chapter four? Jesus goes on to his earthly ministry and what does he do? He has power and authority. And you might be sitting there and saying, yes, he's God. You're right. But what happens in the rest of the New Testament? When the disciples prayed and fasted, when they pursued spiritual disciplines, what happened? They were effective in their ministry. They saw lives being transformed by the gospel. Thousands and millions come to know Jesus. In fact, we are the beneficiaries of their dedication to prayer and fasting and the word. You and I are the beneficiaries of their faithful dedication and obedience to practicing the spiritual disciplines. You want to have an impact in your life, in your marriage, in your children, at your workplace, in this church, in this community. You want to have an effectual impact in the things that negatively impact you. Pray for power. Pray for power. Pray for impact. Here's another Another thing we should pray and fast for, power in spiritual warfare. This is interesting that happens in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go out, cast out demons in my name. Matthew 17, they start casting out a demon and the demon won't come out. Now, I know this is a little weird for people who are new. You're thinking, oh my gosh, what is he talking about? We believe that we have an enemy. His name is Satan. We believe that we are daily affected by spiritual warfare. And the disciples experience the same thing. They try to cast out a demon and the demon wouldn't come out. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says these words in Matthew 17. This kind does not go out except through prayer and fasting. 
What is Jesus saying? You want to have effectual power and spiritual warfare. Meaning, meaning you are feeling attacked by the enemy. You are being overwhelmed. This is Ephesians chapter six, right? Put on the full armor of God. You want to withstand the attack of the enemy in your life. Devote yourself to prayer and fasting so that you can see victory in your life against spiritual warfare. We serve a real enemy. And the way you and I are going to withstand the attacks and not be influenced by the enemy, not be influenced by the culture of the world or the spirit of this age is through prayer and fasting. The fourth reason why you and I should be fasting and prayer is for clarity. There are many other reasons to fast. Answered prayer, God, I need you to do this. But you should pray and fast for clarity. Clarity of what? Clarity of our own sin and weaknesses. And here's why I say this. Food can be a comfort for many of us. In fact, all of us. No one likes to eat something that tastes bad or smells really bad, right? Amen? I don't, that was a like, uh, maybe. No, like I, if it smells bad or if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it, right? Because Food was meant to enjoy, to taste good. But, but oftentimes food can be a comfort for us. So that's why Jesus institutes a spiritual discipline to fast from food, right? Because we can live a comfortable life. When we fast for clarity, and pray for clarity, God would expose the weaknesses of our own sin, the weaknesses of our own flesh. The weaknesses that we find ourselves falling into day in and day out. Now, this is a cautionary moment, right? You should fast with great discernment, right? There are many people who are physically not capable of fasting from food because of medical reasons. You need to talk to your doctor. I ain't a doctor. But you can fast from other things, right? What's the source of your comfort? What is the source of your pleasure? Is it social media? Do you spend a lot of time on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok? Like, do you spend a lot of time doing that? Does that is that the source of your comfort? Do you spend a lot of time reading books? Do you spend a lot of time watching cable news? Do you spend a lot of time watching TV, Netflix? Like maybe that's an opportunity for you to take a pause and say, I'm not gonna do those things for a temporary, a temporary time because I wanna devote myself to the Lord in prayer and fasting because I want clarity of my own sin, my own weakness. I want clarity for direction. Think about the times they fasted in the New Testament. I'll give you two examples. When the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13 fasted, they got clarity as to what the Lord wanted them to do. So guess what, how God responded? He provided Barnabas and Paul to be sent out as missionaries from the church of Antioch. Why? Because they devoted themselves to pray and fast for clarity. Also in Acts chapter 14, the leaders of the church prayed and fasted that they would have good leadership. And how does God respond? He raises up leaders in the church. In other words, God 
answers prayers when we take the time in fasting to, to tell God, hey, listen, my spiritual need is greater than my physical hunger. Why? Because we want more. Beyond what, what we need, the answered prayer, we pray and fast because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and we want more. So how should you fast and pray? Really quickly, here's some practical things. Start small. Get on a plan. If you're gonna fast something, think about the thing that brings you comfort and pleasure. And when you fast, pray. Read God's word. Study God's word and pray and pray and pray and pray. One of the hardest things about praying and fasting, it's delayed gratification. Everything in our culture and our world gives us instant gratification, right? It's like, like I, lo I love vacuuming in my house, right? How many of you like to vacuum? There's a re okay, you like to vacuum for this reason, and I know you, because a lot of people didn't raise their hand because they don't like vacuuming, but here is why the people who vacuum love to vacuum. It's because when they vacuum, they go forward and they come back and they see the lines. <gasps> and you're just... Instinct, you're like, oh my gosh, that part is clean. I want to keep going. So you vacuum again. And then you get real tight to the line, right? And then you know what the best part of vacuuming is? Like it does those like little Vs. And you're just like, ooh, that looks good. This is why people also who vacuum like to mow. There's a lot of people who don't like to mow. But mowing is so good. You know why? Because you push that thing and you're like, oh, it's cutting good. It's cutting real good. I like my grass real short. So you cut it. And then when you start cutting it, what do you see? You see the lines. You're like, ooh. And then guess what you do? You come right back around and you want to do that. You, you go around because you want the other lines to look the other way, right? Like, so you like, ooh, you're like, ooh, it feels so good. What is that called? Instant gratification. <laughs> right? Here's what's going to happen when you pray and fast. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have delayed gratification. Right? God sometimes doesn't answer right away. He doesn't respond right away. But here's what you're doing. You're saying, God, when you fast and pray, here's what you're saying to God. God, I want more. I want it so bad that I'm willing to wait. And I'm not leaving until you give me more. That's why you and I should pray and fast. That is why the spiritual disciplines are so important to us. Because we want more. Who do we want more of? God. We want more of his presence. I'll leave you with this, this last quote. It's a beautiful quote. Fasting. This is not me. This is Dave Mathis. He says, fasting is for this world. For stretching our hearts to get flesh, fresh air beyond the pain and trouble around us. And it is for the battle against the sin and weaknesses inside of us about which we express our discontent with our sinful selves and our longing for more of Christ. Check this out. This is the part that I'm just like, man, this, this is good. He says, 
When Jesus returns, fasting will be done. It's a temporary measure for this life and age to enrich our joy in Jesus and prepare our hearts for the next, for seeing him face to face. Like the disciples, they fasted because they see him and they mourn because we want him to come back. When he returns, he will not call a fast but throw a feast. Then all holy abstinence will have served its glorious purpose and be seen by all for stunning gifts it was. Until then, we will fast. Let's pray. God, we want to be a people who cry out to you And we are a people of great desperation. We need you, Lord. We need you now. We need you in our lives. God, we need you in our world. Would you help us be a people who prayed and fast? We ask you to do these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we all say This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.